American hydrologist, Frank Robinson, who knew the names of every tree, most birds and insects, and all about the stupendous cycle of Panama rainfall. A day or two in such country goes far in stirring your sympathy and admiration for those intrepid souls, the pioneer builders, who came there in the last century first to build a railroad. Surroundings are essential to contemporary subjects no less. To spend time with someone like Miriam Rothschild in the fervently bizarre atmosphere of the family estate north of London, for example, or to follow David Plowden through the cornfields and small towns of Illinois, is for me the only way to see them clearly. So the portraits here are often figures in a landscape. Most of these essays were written for magazines. That they might one day be companion pieces in a book was a thought that never occurred at the time. Each was an individual undertaking. Several of them, for reasons personal or professional, had to be done on short notice. Now, as Roosevelt said, they were produced over a period of nearly twenty years at very different times in my life, and about subjects as dissimilar as Alexander von Humboldt and Conrad Richter. Two of the stories, one set in Panama, the other in the Badlands of North Dakota, resulted from research I was doing for books. Another represents a return to a subject I had already covered in a book, but about which I found I had some new things to say. It was written as a way of honoring the 100th birthday of the Brooklyn Bridge. In the final section, I've included two speeches, written for such different occasions as a college commencement in Vermont, and the ceremonies celebrating the Bicentennial of the United States Congress. Yet I find my subjects are more closely connected than I knew. Reading these essays again, selecting and arranging them as a book, I'm struck by how much they have in common. In my way, I see now, I've been writing about the same kinds of people all along, and I see, too, the extent to which they have revealed the world in times past for me, and things about myself, that I would not have known otherwise. Because of the ichthyologist, the incomparable Louis Agassiz, I was introduced not only to his world of fish, but to his way of seeing. Look at your fish, Agassiz admonished his students, in what for me remains one of the most valuable of all lessons. Look at your fish are the words of the small framed reminder I've since kept by my desk. Discoveries are as likely to be found in material already in hand, before your eyes, as anywhere. Agassiz was one of the greatest of the great teachers of the nineteenth century. His influence reverberates down to our own day. But then it's fair to say my subjects are nearly all teachers. They are writers, civil engineers, men and women of science, aviators, wives and mothers, politicians. One of them, Frederick Remington, is a painter and sculptor. Another, Harry Cottle, is a small-town lawyer. David Plowden is a photographer. Yet each in his or her own way is teaching us to see and to experience the exhilaration or magic or outrage or understanding they feel from what they see. What a grand and solemn spectacle! The very sight of it renewed our strength, writes Humboldt, of the moment in 1802 when, exhausted, gasping for air at an elevation of nearly 15,000 feet, he and his partner, Aimé Bonplan, catch a sudden glimpse through the clouds of the summit 
of Mount Chimborazo. My microscope is my marijuana, says Miriam Rothschild, who in many ways is Humboldt's present-day counterpart. I don't think the men at the top of those enormous corporations are wicked men, observes Harry Cottle, as he and I survey the ravages of strip mining in his native Letcher County, Kentucky. But you know, there's not one of them that has been down here to see things with their own eyes, to see what is going on here, not one. And yet the decisions they make have everything to do with how we live here. Harriet Beecher Stowe sees the evil of slavery and sees her duty plain. From the vantage point of the airplane, Charles and Anne Lindbergh and their fellow pioneer aviators Antoine de Saint-Exupéry and Burl Markham begin to understand their place in the large order of things. Finding